Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning is from the first chapter of St. Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, Teresa, I needed to hear that. Thank you. God has never failed us yet, given what we've sort of experienced and been through these last few months and last few weeks. We just need that reassurance and that promise, and that is so very true. Thank you for your witness um, in this community and far beyond this community. You're a gift and a blessing. Thank you. Will you pray with me? Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the Meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. And the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. By the way, we are in Mark chapter 1, and we will be for the next few weeks. We've chosen at this beginning of the church year to focus on the beginning of Mark's gospel, the first chapter of Mark's gospel. So that's where we are today, specifically the story of the Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness. Our daughter, Anna, and two friends just returned from a two-week trip out west, uh, driving from Virginia to Colorado and into New Mexico. My favorite video, and they did share some videos and pictures along the way, the favorite video was of her friend Carson who started to cry when she saw the majestic Rocky Mountains for the first time. It was beautiful, really, just to see tears dripping down her, her eyes, overcome with amazement. But I must admit that I was surprised days later when they were sitting at dinner with us the other night when Carson, after asking what was her favorite part of the journey, the trip, it wasn't the mountains, it wasn't snowy Colorado, but instead she said the New Mexico desert, the wilderness. One of my uh, summer internships when I was in college was with the U.S. House Subcommittee on Natural Resources, and the, the legal counsel was in earthy guy with shaggy hair and, and loved God's earth. On his coffee table was a picture uh, of weeds, literally just weeds on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, it seemed. But he said this, in the desert, what we see as weeds are known as flowers of spectacular beauty. I guess he was a poet at heart. The desert, as it turns out, is a remarkable place, truly. I mean, this vast expanse uh, that covers a fifth of the world's surface is a remarkable place. Uh, and it, it, in so many respects, it's a complicated place as well. I mean, no doubt plants, insects, animals, even people, they have to struggle to survive in the desert uh, with only 10 inches of rain that, that falls from heaven above uh, a year. Well, it's not an easy place to live. So what is there to love about the desert? Well, for some, there's much to love from its warmth to the sunsets, from, from rock formations and colors that are only found in, 
in those desert plains, and an ecosystem that is the hardiest, the sturdiest in all of the world. Maybe Carson is right. The desert truly is something to love. But the wilderness, really? Is that something to love? In the Bible, it's interesting. The words desert and wilderness are essentially interchangeable. The difference is that wilderness is used far more figuratively, almost poetically. You see, there are 300 references to the wilderness in the Bible, which seems to suggest that that's a pretty important theme in the Bible. 36 of the 66 books of the Bible speak of a wilderness experience. It's sometimes a place of despair and loneliness, sometimes of isolation and exile. Other times, it's just a place of deep longing and of self-discovery, a place of preparation. Doesn't it feel like we're sort of in a wilderness right now these days? I mean, it does to me. These last 10 months, no doubt, even the last few weeks, we've been in a political, a cultural wilderness. As a kid, I, I learned the stories of faith from some uh, really good Sunday school teachers, shout out to my old Sunday school teachers, and from Bible story books called the Arch Books. Maybe some of you all remember those. They're from Concordia Publishing House. I loved those things. Some of the most memorable stories, as I recall this past week, were wilderness stories, wilderness um, stories from the Bible, like Hagar and Ishmael. And you remember when they were sent out into the desert, Jacob running away from his brother, Joseph thrown into a deep hole, to sort of like a wilderness, Moses in the burning bush, David escaping Saul by uh, running into the wilderness, Jonah thrown into the sea, sort of a wilderness experience for him, and the children of Israel, of course, wandering in the desert for 40 long years. It's interesting, though, that in none of those stories do they want to be in the wilderness, but that's where they were, and there was no easy button to get out. One day, a woman found a a cocoon of a butterfly. The next day, a small opening appeared in that cocoon. She watched. She was mesmerized, so fascinated. She watched that butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its way through that tiny little hole until it suddenly stopped making any progress whatsoever, and it looked like it was stuck. So the woman uh, decided to help the butterfly out. She took some scissors. She snipped off the the remaining bit of that cocoon, and, and the butterfly then emerged easily. Well, although it had a swollen body and small sort of shriveled up wings, but the woman didn't think of anything of it, and she sat there continuing to watch this this butterfly, looking forward to the wings moving and supporting that butterfly into flight, but that never happened. I mean, not at all. The butterfly instead spent the rest of its life unable to fly, just crawling around with tiny wings and a swollen body. Despite the kind heart of the woman, she didn't understand that restricting uh, a cocoon and the struggle that was needed by the butterfly to get itself out of the cocoon through that small opening, well, that was sort of like God's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings to prepare itself for flying once it was out of the cocoon. It's remarkable, isn't it, how often our struggles develop our strengths, I mean, in fact, a basic lesson of life, a basic lesson of physics, most certainly, is that without struggle, we will never grow stronger. Is it possible that the struggle you're going through right now 
or the struggle that we are going through right now, well, that it's just preparation for what life has in store for us next. Back to our gospel reading from this first chapter of of Mark, because there are some key lessons that we can learn from the Bible's wilderness stories, including this one. And the first one that I'd like to explore is God's promise to accompany us into the wilderness. So, I'd like for us to take another look at verse 12 of this gospel reading. It says this, the Holy Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. You know, the, uh, the original language of the New Testament of Mark's gospel also allows for this translation, that the Spirit brought Jesus into the wilderness. This wilderness, a place that already existed, right? It was a desert plain in that region, a fixed location that Jesus quite honestly could not have avoided. There was no way He could have avoided it, which means that this phrase, the Spirit drove, also means that the Spirit accompanied Jesus there where Jesus would face temptation, yes, where Jesus would face the challenges of life, yes, but would also be, well, what does Scripture tell us? There He is going to be waited on by the angels. He is going to be nourished by God, ministered to by above. Why? Because God's promise is to accompany us into the wilderness. I believe that one of the primary reasons that we Americans uh, are in such a struggle with each other is because we, quite simply, don't trust God's promise, nor have we opened our eyes to God's presence. Think about it, really. Uh, We don't trust each other. I know that's sort of a harsh uh, statement, perhaps, to make, and maybe it's not a universal statement, but for the most part, we don't trust each other. Instead, we demonize each other. We don't look to each other as brothers, but as enemies. We don't assume the best because we're certain of the worst. We don't seek God's plan. We wait for God to justify our plan. You get it, right? You know where we're going with that, and you know that it's true. Why? Because, well, we don't trust God's plan for reconciliation. God's desire, by the way, His desire to restore us as the one family of God, in some cases, perhaps, we don't even desire it. Martin Luther King, who we honor this weekend, was often the victim of violence from angry mobs. As Ted just recently, or just read a few moments ago in reflecting upon his time in a prison cell in Montgomery, Alabama, he wrote these words, men often hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they cannot communicate. They cannot communicate because they are separated. You see, King knew, and so should we, that the hard work before us as a nation is in figuring out how to look to one another as sisters and brothers, to look into our challenges through the lens of our common humanity, through the lens of our common citizenship. Look, make no mistake about it, trusting God and trusting each other is hard work. I'll admit that. Of course it is. It's easier to complain, isn't it? It's easier to cast stones, isn't it? It's easier simply to walk away. But this is not the time for lazy politics. This is the time for courageous people. Because the struggle, our struggle, this struggle, will be worth it if we truly want to emerge into the dawn of a new day. 
in the Bible's most famous wilderness story, the people of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. Perhaps you remember that story. God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, of course, parted the Red Sea so that they could escape Pharaoh and his army who were just hot on their trail. Why? So that God could take them to the promised land. That was God's promise. But a journey that should have only taken a few months ended up taking 40 years. And along the way, they're whining and complaining, and, 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 they're, and they're, they're just yelling out to Moses nonstop, it seems, tired of the wilderness. Life was hard, sure enough. Food was scarce, no doubt, but they were begging, if you can believe it, to go back to Egypt. We remember where they were slaves to the land that, that had restricted every movement that they had ever made. How quickly they, how quickly we forget. There's a scene in the book of Numbers where Moses goes into the wilderness alone and he prays to God, just kill me now, he says. I, I, I just cannot do this anymore. I am so sick and tired of these people. I'm sick of their complaints. If you've ever been criticized, if you've ever felt the complaints of others, you know that feeling. You just want to quit. You're, you're tired of the complaining. You stay awake at night thinking, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Find somebody else to do this. And Yet what God said to Moses was this, keep going, don't give up. I imagine God is saying that to some of you right now and some who may be listening at this very moment. God is saying, keep going, don't give up, even though you feel like quitting. You see, the people who have made a mark, their mark on this world, have felt that kind of struggle. They have felt like giving up, no doubt, but they didn't. And that, it seems to me, is the difference in making a mark or not, that, that you don't give up in the face of the struggle, in the face of criticism. Well, soon after Moses' dilemma there with God, his, his just decision and God's, God's challenge to him, soon after that moment, the people of Israel make it to the edge of the promised land. Hallelujah! a place they had been hoping and dreaming about. They're so very close. Now, before they move in, before they march in, they send 12 scouts to check things out, and, and these scouts return, and they are totally afraid. Uh, and they say, uh, uh, people there, they look like giants and we're, we're grasshoppers. Uh, the cities, they're strong, they're fortified. There's no way we can do this. They were terrified. What they had forgotten was that God had just set them free from slavery in Egypt. Think about it. God had just defeated the most powerful army in all of the world, and that God had promised to go with them no matter how scary, no matter how foreboding it felt. But they were paralyzed by their fears. And so they remained in the wilderness for another 38 years just on the edge of the promised land, so close. I know the struggle that we face, the struggle before us as a nation, is hard. And I know that many people feel wrecked by fear, just ready to give up. But one thing we should never forget that God has promised to go with us through the hell, through the fire, through the stormy night, 
And he says, I'm going to be with you. And because God will be with you, we can trust that he has not given up on us yet, and he will not in the future. So friends, don't be paralyzed by fear. May we as a nation not be paralyzed by fear because he will see us through this. He will walk with you to the promised land. A land, don't forget, that is a land of reconciliation, a land of peace and of, and of justice and of mercy and of love. That, friends, is our hope. That is God's promise. So let's walk with God and let's walk with one another to that land. Amen.